What's up, Hells fans? Thank you guys so much for tuning in. My name is Preston Ellis, and you can follow me at Preston Ellis. Now, you guys, we are rolling here at Pelican Debrief. Coming up, we've got our editor-in-chief, our site expert, Rick Stone, will be joining us. But before we have him, I just want to tell you guys a bit more about our program. We've really been doing well lately, thanks to you all. Thank you so much, by the way. Subscribe, share, retweet, all that stuff. But in the past week, we've had Jeff Duncan of the Times-Picayune. We're going to have Keith Smith of Real GM, Mason Ginsberg. We've had Andrew Juge, site experts from the Rockets, the Kings, the Bulls, the Nuggets. Uh, We've just really been rolling, and we want to keep it rolling. So you guys, retweet, share, subscribe, rate us on iTunes. We really appreciate all the help that we can get from you guys. I'm feeling a bit under the weather, but I want to give you guys your Saturday podcast. So here is Rick Stone. It's time to phone a friend. And now we welcome in the boss, editor-in-chief and site expert, Rick Stone. Rick, how are you, my friend? Well, it's it's finally the off season, so we get a little uh, relaxation for what's been a really crazy season. But uh, I'm good, man. Relaxation. The playoffs are just starting. I feel like we're watching more basketball now, uh, more now than ever. Uh, before I get to you, Rick, you guys can follow Rick at Rick Stone NBA, and of course visit our network at PelicanDebrief.com or at PelicanDebrief for all the latest news on all things Pelicans. Now, Rick, before we get into our ten questions, you've been watching the playoffs. I have been watching the playoffs. It's been a little surprising to see how some of these uh, other teams have been performing under the lights. You know, the Celtics have struggled a bit to play against Chicago's style. We've seen LeBron James just put the team on his back in the Eastern Conference. West Conference has just really been what you expect. The Warriors are doing well. The Spurs are doing well. The Rockets are doing well. It's just kind of going to form. Yeah, that Celtics uh, series, I was actually just watching it. We're, of course, recording this on a Friday night, um, and it was interesting. Up until that Rondo injury, I believe he just fractured his finger on Thursday night. I was really worried that the eighth seed was going to sweep a first seed for, I believe, the first time ever. Did you have any fears about that, or you think this is just one of those back-and-forth things? You know, there was actual legitimate fears because I think with a lot, when it comes down to the playoffs, a lot of it comes down to matchups. And the Boston Celtics are a team that struggles against these scrappy teams like the Bulls, who really know how to get at you defensively and force you into mistakes if you don't have a guy that can just take over the whole game. And while Isaiah Thomas is very good, Rajon Rondo is one of the best defensive point guards in the league, no matter what. So this is going to be a tough matchup for them, even with tonight's win. It's going to be tough for them to win the series just because of how Chicago plays and how they don't really have a big man that can counteract the Bulls' scrappy style that forces you into mistakes. Yeah, with all the uh, laughable performances we've gotten out of Rondo in, in Dallas and Sacramento in the past few years, I was talking to my buddy Daniel Coughlin of Pippin 8 Easy, and he said whenever those lights shine brightest, you can you can see 2010 Rondo out on the court, and that's definitely what we were seeing uh, the other night on TNT. But let's get into these Pelicans, Rick. Rick, this might be the most important offseason ever in our uh, short 12-year history. Now, the number one offseason story appears on the surface to be Drew Holiday, but I want to explore a darker cloud that's looming over Holiday in the form of the Pelicans' front office. Office, Of course, you know, we're talking about Alan Gentry and Dell Dems. Are they going to stay? Are they going to go? But more so, I want to talk about 
nearing 90-year-old Tom Benson and general, or not general manager, I should say president of basketball operations, Mickey Loomis. He's the general manager of the Saints. It gets confusing in my head, but once again, we're stuck in evaluation mode weeks after the conclusion of the NBA regular season, and we're we're left to wait until the NFL draft has come and gone because it appears that the, the ownership structure cares more about that than they do about our Pelicans. Rick, tell me your thoughts about this Pelican-Saints split front office and the seeming lack of urgency from from anyone. Man, it's it's really, really tough because it seems like there's some good heart in what these guys want to do, but you just get over-encumbered. You know, there's too much going on, and you have to prioritize something. And in their opinions, it's a football town before it's a basketball town. So they focus more on the Saints and trying to get them better. The draft is coming up. And they almost put all these important things with the Pelicans, who now have two superstars and actually have some legitimacy to be a contender. And they're still putting it on the back burner, which is a real red flag. You know, if we went past years where this team really wasn't looking to contend and they were still restructuring, maybe that's a little bit forgivable when there's still a lot of work to do and a lot of it's just figuring out a plan. But this team really needs to win this year. There's not really any room for error anymore. If they struggle again next year, DeMarcus Cousins is gone and Anthony Davis is ready to walk out the door right behind him. So this has to be a big priority season. And the fact that they're already once again going, well, we're going to wait and figure it out in time. That's not enough. The other 29 teams, even the ones that are in the playoffs, are already preparing for next year. And they're already getting their free agency pitches in place. They're already getting their plans on what kind of roster they want to build, what they can do with their money. Those teams are already five steps ahead of the Pelicans who just aren't ready to do it. So it's a glaring issue that this is a team that's not focused. It's almost like when you're a kid and you're supposed to be working on your homework and doing your schools and there's so many other things going on that you can't focus. And they're going to be behind the other ones that are focused. And at this level, the NBA level, You bet you're bummed that at least 25 of the other teams are a full focus, ready to go. So it's, it's a troubling sign for sure. Yeah. Alvin Gentry said, I haven't had a talk with ownership. That'll happen soon. I'm sure this was the end of the season press conference. He still to this day has not spoken with the uppers at airline drive. And, and it's gotta be frustrating for a fan base that like, like Jeff Duncan referred to the other day on the program, he said the general manager and, and their, their seeming lack of a plan. They just kind of go where the wind takes them. Oh, DeMarcus Cousins is available. We'll explore that. Ryan Anderson is available. Oh, we need a wing. Solomon Hill's available. Oh, we have Omera Sheik. We gave a first round pick for him. I guess we should just pay him all this money, even though no one is negotiating against us. It's just like going wherever the wind is taking us. And the seeming lack of a plan, like you just said, puts us five steps behind every other major player in free agency. Now, as we stand, Dell Demps, Gentry, and Boogie, they're, they're fake. Are, are inevitably tied together for the remainder of this season. And it, this could decide the fate of Anthony Davis as well. Should the Pels, you know, make the playoffs, you, you'd have to believe, you know, all stay, maybe extend some people. But, but let's say that the Pelicans enter January five games back at the eighth seed. Does it make sense to allow what now is a lame duck general manager to dictate the fate of the Pelicans at the trade deadline? It's really tough because it, as we saw this year, it's really tough to succeed when you make that kind of big decision halfway through the year. Yes, DeMarcus Cousins is a better player than Buddy Heald was and all those other guys, but it also caused a lot of mayhem within the organization. Drew Holiday started to play a lot worse. 
a lot of these other guys took a long time to figure out how to even adjust to play the new style. Alvin Gentry was having a lot of problems because DeMarcus Cousins is a player that is outside his comfortable range of players that fit. So it's really hard to say if they're five games back halfway through the year to make a change because it's already been done and it didn't work. This has to be made now. You know, if you are bought into Gentry, you're going all in. You're not keeping any chips back. Like, he's the guy. If you're bought into Alvin Gentry, you're all in. Same with DeMarcus Cousins. Like, you're either all in this situation or you're making the changes now for next year. And like you said, the general managers, I keep thinking back to an old Family Guy episode where James Woods keeps seeing a piece of candy on the ground and keeps going after it into a trap. Like, this team is always looking for the bright, shiny object, and they're not looking long-term. This is a team that just makes rash decisions and just goes for it. And yes, sometimes those pay off with Del Demps under the radar fines, but a lot of the time they throw it off course anyway of what originally what the team was going to do. So it's really, really, really difficult to be comfortable with where the direction of this team is going because I don't think even they know where the direction is going. It's just kind of up in the air where this year you got to decide what, where's the direction. You can't do what you've been doing for years and years and just hoping it goes the right way. You got to find out where you're going and it's got to be quick and it's got to work. You've had so many years to figure it out, especially Dell Demps. It's got to work this time. If he's even given the chance to do it. I mean, the the team could go against Dell, fire him, fire Gentry and start something brand new to try to pitch to Boogie, even if next year isn't right. It all depends on what they're comfortable with. Definitely. And it all seems a bit out of our control until next weekend when the NFL draft ends. It starts on Thursday, the first round. Friday, of course, is the second and third round. And then it's all rounded out Saturday and Sunday after that. So we might not get any word on what's going to happen going forward until Monday of next week. But for now, what we can talk about, Drew Holiday, uh, congratulations to him. He just won an NBA Community Cares Award, by all accounts, a wonderful human being, and was dubbed the best defensive point guard in the NBA by Bleacher Report. But the Pelicans brass during their season-ending press conference, they they seemed a bit guarded. They talked about him as a priority, but they also like kind of waded the waters as if, you know, if he goes, we've got a plan for that. But if he stays, we'd love to have him sort of thing. You would have to believe that uh, Jason Glushon, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Glushon, his agent from Los Angeles, told the Pelicans brass he wasn't going to sign ahead of free agency without like a five-year $176 million offer in hand, according to Larry Kuhn, which is what he's eligible for with the Pelicans. And there's there's no way in hell you'd have to believe the Pelicans would lay down the contract. That's insane. That's like $35 million a year. I think it'd be 45 in the fifth and final year of it. But the Lakers, the Nuggets, the Knicks, and the 76ers are all said to have interest. Uh, do you have any idea of where he goes, Rick, and how much he gets paid? It's really tough because there's so many different factors in this situation. I do think that the Pelicans have better odds than people are giving them just because of everything that's transpired, especially early this year when everything was going wrong with Drew Holiday's life and they gave him that freedom. That's going to pay a lot of dividends if he does stay in New Orleans. But I mean, he's going to be offered a lot of money. And from what I've heard, the biggest thing with Drew is he wants to play with his brother. He wants the opportunity for a team to pitch him that they can get him and they can get Justin Holiday almost as a package deal in the same way as these other, these other brother combos, the Marcus Markeith Morris combo. Um, so it really depends on if the Pelicans can realistically pitch that to him and if they realistically can pitch him the long-term effect because I honestly think if you're going to keep, if they keep Drew, they're going to they're going to be able to pitch him a lot more of we're not going to be what we were last year. And that likely means the Gentry's gone. Um, 
but if they're already planning ahead of it, it seems like that Gentry's in the plan. So I want to be optimistic, but at the same time, there's a lot of factors that seem to say what a lot of people are thinking, that Drew is very seriously considering other teams. Lakers have a lot of money and could very well get Justin Holiday. The same with the Nuggets, who are really missing that star player to stand out. And it's tough. I'd love for Drew to stay. I think he's a great player, and I just think he's an overall great guy. But at the same time, I could very realistically see him go. Definitely. Um, And Los Angeles is where he and Lauren, his wife and mother of his child, met. That would be a wonderful spot for them. That's where their agent is. Denver, uh, our buddy Matthew Huff over at Nug Love has expressed interest in Drew Holiday from the start. Some kind of sign and trade that involved uh, maybe a Will Barton type could could be something realistic. I can't see him going to New York. Why would anybody want to go to that franchise? It doesn't make any sense to why he would tie himself to Phil Jackson at this point, especially with everything happening with Porzingis and, and Carmelo Anthony now seeming to be on the trade block. And the 76ers, while intriguing, I, I don't know. There's there's just been too much of a history of tanking at this point, and you you still don't know what Joel Embiid's injury history is going to entail. And Ben Simmons was out all year this year. You have no idea who they're going to land, so it's tricky. You'd have to think Lakers and Nuggets are front runners at this point, but neither of them are going to throw him four years, one hundred thirty million dollars. So it's definitely interesting. Anyway, moving right along, if Drew Holiday should go or if he should stay, some point guard prospects. Sergio Rodriguez, these are guys who could fall under the the biannual, uh, or sorry, the mid-level exception should Drew stay. Sergio Rodriguez, you know, he's a little bit older. I believe he's about 32, 33 years old. Uh, I guess his best days are behind him, but he's a killer three-point shooter and an elite-level uh, distributor. He averages, I think, somewhere around two and a half assists per turnover. Then you've got Sean Livingston, who might want to leave Golden State if they should fail in the playoffs this year, maybe once the starting role. Shelvin Mack, who will definitely be available. Ty Lawson, who will definitely be available. And then there's also that guy named Derek Rose, who might be available at that price. Uh, who who are you hoping that the Pelicans add this offseason to the point guard position? Um, Okay, I'll go two different ways here. I think of that list easily, Sean Livingston. I love his story. He was actually the first player I got to meet and talked to uh, when I was at the NBA Summer League, and he was actually preparing his comeback. This was back in 2013, I believe. First time I ever went to Summer League. I got to talk to him about, you know, trying to get back in the NBA. He said, I'm going to do everything. This was when he had, um, I believe it was the torn ACL. I can't remember what specifically was the injury, but he just seemed like one of those stand-up guys that was going to do everything he could to help whatever team he was on win. So to have that on the Pelicans would be amazing. Now, I don't know if he's going to be looking for a lot of money, which would be a problem. But I think he's one of those guys that character-wise, you really just want to have in the team because he does so much good. On the other spectrum of things, I think Dell Demps, if he's going to go for a new point guard, is going to look for something in the familiar range. And I really wouldn't be surprised. I know he's almost disappeared in the NBA. But Grievous Vasquez could be a name to talk about. I believe he's a free agent. I haven't really looked into it. But he's a guy that the Pelicans could be like, we need somebody who's familiar with the kind of system that we want to run now with Boogie, a slower paced system that the Pelicans ran right when they got Anthony Davis at first, that is a capable point guard. We're not looking for a scorer. We're not looking for someone to steal the show. We're just looking for someone to run the offense. A guy in that Grievous Vasquez type, um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, character type, makes sense. He's not going to score a ton. He's not going to you know, be the star of the game like Drew can be but he's going to be able to get Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins the ball in the spots that the Pelicans want him to. 
So someone in that character, which I think the Sean Livingston can do more, but he can also add scoring. He can add rebounding with his athleticism and he can add a lot more defensive capabilities. But I don't think the Pelicans need to reach to these big star players that some other teams have been talking about. I know I've heard Jeremy Lin in a trade possibility. They don't need to jump that far. You know, you've already got two stars. You can go lower signing with the point guard and kind of fill the pieces in everywhere else because there are definitely other pieces that need to be filled in. So I, I've always really liked Sean Livingston, though. If we could get him, that would be awesome if Drew leaves. All right. I did a little bit of research. Uh, in his first three years, he missed 101 out of 246 games. And you were right. He tore his uh, PCL and his MCL. And if you met him at Summer Leagues, you met him somewhere in March of 2009 after he signed with the Tulsa oh. 66ers of the NBA D-League. And then later that summer played for the Oklahoma City's uh, Summer League. But those are some intriguing names that you brought up. I love the Vasquez idea because we really need a distributor. Um, I'd like somebody who could play a little bit more defense. You said you didn't want to go into the trade route, but if we did, someone like a Ricky Rubio or Matthew Delvadova, somebody who plays pretty uh, good defense but distributes the ball at an effective level could also be. Anyway, there's a lot of options. It's going to be up to Dell Demps to, to find the right fit. But you mentioned Summer League, and uh, because of all these 10-day contracts we gave out, uh, we're actually going to have to have our eyes all over it. We don't have a lot of salary flexibility at this point. So we're going to have meaningful rotation minutes to offer to some of these D-League and Summer League guys like Check, Quinn Cook, Axel Tupain, and whoever else might be there. How much of the Summer League are you going to pay attention to in Las Vegas specifically? Because it's a little bit easier to get access to. And and what do you think the Pelicans may find there and in Orlando? What's funny is I'm actually supposed to be going to Summer League this year. Um, I used to live out in Vegas, so I'm probably going to be taking a plane out to at least see a few of the Pelicans games. But I'm actually going to be looking at other teams, uh, too, because there's a few positions the Pelicans really need to figure out. Depending on what they do at point guard, that could be up there. But this is a team that really needs to figure out a small forward. You know, they've got Czech Diallo and Anthony Davis at power forward. They've got DeMarcus Cousins. They'll likely have Alexia Jinka at center. They have Etuan Moore and Jordan Crawford as shooting guard, and they're likely to figure out the point guard position through their trades or through Drew Holiday, whatever. And Quinn Cook's probably going to be there as well. So now you look at the small forward. Solomon Hill has been underwhelming. Dante Cunningham could very well be gone because he's going to be offered quite a bit of money. Quincy Pondexter, I mean, he could be there, but he could also not have a career. We really don't know at this point. So they're going to be looking at a lot of younger small forwards that really want to break into the NBA it could be looking to through the summer league, you know, the guys like Robert Covington who had to work their way up from the D league. So that's the position. If I'm Dell Demps, if I got the job next year that I'm looking at very, very closely is which small forwards are standing out that we could realistically get. And we could get at a cheaper price and see if they fill into that player that we hope Solomon Hill could have became that just didn't because they had a lot of options. They had the chance to keep Omri Caspery and blew that. They had the chance to go after some of these other small forwards that were kind of, um, they were coming up, but they weren't really there yet. And then it seemed like with all their 10-day contracts, they were trying to figure out a starting shooting guard. But they've got that pretty well handled. I think each one more can start. If not, Jordan Crawford, somebody, they could switch on and off between games. But this team's biggest weakness is small forward. And if Quincy Pondexter come, doesn't come back next year, you got to fill that spot and you got to fill it cheap. So that's the position I'm really looking at going into summer league this year. 
Yeah, and like you said, uh, not not a lot of optimism for Quincy Pondexter going forward. He only averaged about 60 games his first three seasons when he was relatively healthy, then had his stress fracture that took him out of the 2013 season, then had three knee surgeries since the Pelicans playoff uh, run in 2014. So if anything, I think at this point the the best odds of a maneuver are to dump salary with Pondexter and Agenza somewhere and get ourselves eight or nine million in cap room, maybe attach like the 76ers uh, really high second round pick to it this year. And I don't know, maybe get something off, off the nets. Like, uh, I don't know how much you like Andrew Nicholson. I, I was a lot more, uh, I was a bigger fan of him a year ago before he got uh, sandwiched in between the wizards and the nets. And he's really fallen off a cliff ever since, but that is an option to free up some room. The only other option would be to, to do kind of what the Celtics are going, are doing and, and the bulls are doing and just playing three guards and just forgetting about the, the wing position altogether and just having three small floor runners to uh, space out the floor with DeMar. Marcus and Anthony Davis is another option, but uh, speaking of DeMarcus Cousins, uh, do you think he makes All-NBA? And if he does, is he eligible for the three-year max? I think he has to be. If you're the Pelicans and you have that money and you have a chance to put somebody who's not only Anthony Davis's friend, but possibly the best center in the league on your team for a long term, yeah, you do it. And as far as NBA, All-NBA, I mean, you're talking about who was the best center in the league. And he was probably one of the best centers in the league, if not the best. I think Marcus All will probably get first team, but I think he has a chance at second or third team for sure. I don't think there was a lot of other centers that really dominated that position in the same way that he did. You know, there was a, a period where Hassan Whiteside had done unbelievable things and was really stealing that role. But I mean, as far as the Eastern Conference, I can't think of really any other centers that were stars this year. And in the Western Conference, other than Marcus Hall, there wasn't one that dominated the games as much as DeMarcus Cousins did. He definitely, he's definitely got a really, really good shot at All-NBA. And I mean, if you're the Pelicans, I don't see why you wouldn't offer it to him, but it's a matter of what he wants to do. You know, if they got to prove to him that this can be a contender because he is not being on another team that's barely swinging the ninth seed in the, in the West, which doesn't make the playoffs. He wants to be in the NBA playoffs. It's why he is excited about these moves and he doesn't want to be in Sacramento. They tried so many things to make him a contender and they didn't. He wants to feel that same with Anthony Davis. So if you're going to want to offer him that this is the year you prove him to win. So I think he's got the all NBA and you know, it's going to be tough because you've got Rudy Gobert having like a defensive player of the year type year. DeAndre Jordan uh, is always in the mix. Uh, I, I don't know if you put Al Horford at center at this point. Uh, probably DeMarcus would nudge him. And then Anthony Davis was playing a lot of center before DeMarcus joined the squad. So you'd have to th- think that Anthony Davis is in the mix in there somewhat as well. So it'll definitely be exciting uh, to look forward to and to see what happens there. But Rick, let me get... Uh, let me get a suggestion from you. Uh, six weeks ago, they announced that the Pelicans were going to have their own D-League franchise. Do you have a favorite landing spot for the Pelicans, and do you have a team name in mind for them? I don't know if I really have a specific landing spot. I hope they stay in Louisiana, because I think you want to pitch that whole, this is the state's team. You know, Not just the city of New Orleans, but the entire state of Louisiana as a whole. I hope they don't go too far out because I think they can really get some good viewership, even if they stay there. Trying to think Baton Rouge, maybe. I don't know. I'd have to really look into that. As far as the team name, I really always wish that they could have taken the old um, Arena Football League's team, the Voodoo. I've always loved that name for a New Orleans team, but obviously there's already a team that has it. 
I don't really know. I'd have to take some time to think about that. Um, something along Pelican's line. I, I can't think of what baby Pelicans are called. Maybe that, <laughs> if it's adorable enough. Uh, I'm not really sure. Well, they just um, changed the minor league baseball team to the to the baby cake. So I guess the Zephyrs are available. Uh, just off the cuff, I was thinking something like Monroe Mudbugs or Crescent City Crawdaddies. I don't know. Uh, definitely, I actually like the Crawdaddies one. Crawdaddies is cute. Now, uh, another favorite landing spot in Mississippi is Gulfport and also Biloxi. And then some people are talking as far as Mobile, Alabama, which is only about a two and a half hour drive. So still in the vicinity. Baton Rouge is rumored to not really be in the mix as much. Those would be the four uh, favorite landing spots as as much as I've heard so far, just based on some of these interviews. Rick, I want to let you go. I know we're both under the weather right now, but before I do, plug yourself. What have we got coming up on the site, and uh, what can we look forward to? Well, we've still got the season reviews going up. Um, after that, we're probably going to do a lot of uh, – I know the Pelicans have a second-round draft pick, so we'll probably be doing some later draft pick uh, profiles on what will be going on there. Um, I know last year we did something on comparing the uh, players to video game characters. We might do that again since there's a lot of new characters on the team that we don't really know as well. Um, There's going to be a lot of stuff going on. I know Preston's still got a lot of interviews lined up that he's been doing an incredible job on. And um, we'll be having a lot of content coming up. And uh, it's definitely worth a watch. Thanks. And I I had another idea. I guess I should pitch this through the email chain, but... um... Something that might get a bit of attention for us, uh, ranking the best Pelicans of all time. And what uh, Saints Nation and the Saints Happy Hour podcast, which are two very popular podcasts in the New Orleans area for the New Orleans Saints by bloggers like us. They've been doing like the 32 best cornerbacks in the Saints history, and that's gotten a lot of attention. uh, Some of it to comedic effects since the Saints haven't really had a lot of great cornerbacks. But something along those lines could be interesting, something fun to work on. But uh, like uh, top 10 in each position or something and we get that far yeah or some kind of a best lineup of all time and like take all the best pelicans at each respective position and and put together some kind of lineup that features like a david west and anthony davis a tyson chandler a chris paul and god i don't know who our shooting guard would be (laughs) would it be uh jerry jasper what's that david wesley wesley all right, maybe we could get him to retweet us with a name drop like that. Uh, I know he's heavy on Twitter as he's been calling the games with Joel Myers lately, but for now... Small forward would be Peja Stoyakovich, right? Peja? I don't know. It was such a brief, uh, successful run, and he really didn't uh, contribute that much in the playoffs against the Spurs, but I guess we've had a pretty tepid history as far as... Uh, as- far as small forwards go i was sliding anthony davis a small forward and putting david west at power forward but i guess that's not uh, as realistic i guess we'll have to bump david off the team which is kind of upsetting but uh yeah maybe maybe a six man right yeah a trevor ariza type could fit in somewhere uh he played well defensively for us i remember when we had that that run against the lakers i think we were the seven seed and they were the two seed and trevor ariza put up like a 21 point game in, in our first win that that big shocker that was so exciting um, he's been playing really well for Houston in that series too. He's he's really shut down um, whoever they the Thunder have been running at small forward. Now they've been running Jeremy Grant a lot and Kyle Singler. He's he's been incredible. Yeah, uh, it's been a really fun series to watch so far. Up until uh, 
Russell Westbrook, I think, was like something of 4 of 18 in the fourth quarter. Up until that point, the Thunder were leading most of the game, distributing the ball pretty evenly uh, by 12 for a big portion. I turned the game off in the third quarter because I thought it was all but but spent. But uh, apparently he went to whatever the polar opposite of supernova is in the fourth quarter and took the ball away from from every other player on his team, I guess making the job easier for for Patrick Beverly and Trevor Reza and whoever guys are switching on to him. But um yeah, you, yeah, it's you, been a you, tough series because they've been living by Russell Westbrook and been dying by Russell Westbrook. He's he's really been the team. And the struggle to have that second mode to be like, well, now let's play like a team. I mean, they had that game three, and then Westbrook sat and it all fell apart. And then when he came back in, he wanted to do it on his own, and it was just – this is a double-edged sword at that point. Yeah, they really have the, the capability to run a Houston Rockets-type offense with a – Singler and McDermott on the wings, and Oladipo is a good corner three shooter. They and Stephen Adams in the paint. They really have an opportunity to to run a very similar offense, but um, unfortunately, it just like seems to collapse late for them. And and Russell Westbrook, he almost like seems like he wants it too much, like Michael Jordan in the '80s, where he was just like every nobody's good enough to be on my team. I'm going to take care of it. And it wasn't until the '90s where he discovered that he needed to distribute the ball a little bit more. But it's really sad because I want more playoffs of Russell Westbrook. I don't like watching James Harden throw himself into defenders and heave the ball up into the air and get whistled calls do you like that style of basketball obviously he does more than that but that's that's what i think of when i think of him james harden has really figured out an art of perfecting that drawing fouls he knows exactly what refs are going to call and when they're going to call it and he's just done a really good job of being able to figure that out it is an incredibly frustrating thing to watch mostly as fans that's probably the biggest problem if you're a fan of the game you don't want to see somebody go to the line for 20 free throws a game the game's stopping too much, and there's not a good flow going on. So it's difficult, but you can't argue that the guy knows what he's doing, and he's just really, really good at getting the refs to say, that's a foul. We're taught to call it, so we have to call it. And it's frustrating, but it works, and that's why Houston is as far as they are. I really wonder if it's going to work against the Spurs, because San Antonio, if there's any team that knows how not to foul in that situation, it's the Spurs. But against the Oklahoma City excuse me, the Oklahoma City Thunder, it's working, and they don't have an answer for it. Yeah, the Wall Street Journal had an article a few months ago saying that James Harden's primary, like, superhuman skill was deceleration. He's just better than anybody at slowing down, and it allows him to get, like you said, those uh, uncommon foul calls that other players uh, try to duplicate but just can't at the level that he does. But anyway, let's get you back to the playoffs Rick, you're the man. Always love having you on. You have such wonderful insight and can go off the cuff uh, so, so easily for, for such a great period of time. And, and your knowledge of the Pelicans is just unmatched. So it's always fun. Thank you so much for taking the time with me yet again. I think this is your third, maybe fourth appearance in like six weeks. Yeah, I've definitely on quite a bit. I, I mean, it's great to be on. It's great to talk to the Pelicans. One more thing before I go. I have been doing research on a small forward the Pelicans can get. and. I'm actually a big fan of something called eSports, which is the video game version of sports. And the biggest NBA proponent of it is Jonas Jarekbo, who's a small forward that's available. The Celtics probably are not going to pay him, and he's only getting $5 million per year. Kick and play. Kick and play, and he might be worth it as a Solomon Hill replacement. Keep that in mind with the Pelicans, because he's a free agent this year. Jeff Duncan mentioned him as well. And I thought to myself at 6'10", like, do we really need to be spending, you know, our free agent dollars on another 
30-year-old power forward center type, but that's definitely a a name that Jeff mentioned as somebody who would really fit into our system well. I guess in like a a Ryan Anderson six-man type role, is that what you foresee as him fitting into? Well, he's 6'10", but he has been running a mix between small forward and power forward. When he was in Detroit, he had originally been running small forward along with their lineups and Andre Drummond. Then when he moved to Boston, he's been running more power forward because they run small ball. But he's definitely one of those guys that Diallo's still in development, so you can run him as a small ball player if you want to run Anthony Davis at the center. You can run him at power forward, not really take too much of a hit on defense, and still be able to shoot the ball. You know, his numbers aren't fantastic, but he is definitely a floor spacer that, compared to Donatus Montehunas, definitely fits more of that up-tempo style that can run up and down the floor a little bit better and not be fouling each time. Yeah, just for our fans, uh, he had a down year this year from three-point with 35%, but in the previous two years, he averaged 40 and over 41%, so he would definitely do a lot of floor spacing for our bigs, DeMarcus and Anthony Davis. Rick, that is it. Thank you so much for your time. You're the man, and we'll talk to you again soon. All right, thank you for having me, man. Really appreciate it. All right, that's it, Pels fans. Now, before I let you go, I want to give you guys a tip as to what we've got coming up. Coming up on Monday, we are going to have some combination of Pelican Debrief writers, Wilton Jackson, and our old buddy, Charles LaRocca. We love these guys and excited to have them back on. And then some point at midweek next week, we're going to have Mason Ginsburg of our good friends at Bourbon Street Shots and True Hoop. So thrilled to have him on. I've been an admirer of his for years, been reading his stuff for a good long while. He's a great guy, and he's going to give us some great insight. He's been on the program before, so we're so grateful to have him back. But again, thank you guys. Don't forget, share, subscribe, rate, retweet. We appreciate all your support so much and can't wait to spend the rest of the summer talking Pelicans with you guys. But for now, let's go Pels.